Chapter Seven of Fuel of Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fuel of Fire by Ellen Thornycroft Fowler. Chapter Seven. A woman tempts. You took my life and filled it all, then turned its sweetness into gall and doomed me to despair dear the life you spoiled is nearly done and if there be another one in some strange land beyond the sun i hope you won't be there dear that summer was a wonderful time for lawrence and nancy so wonderful that it would always stand out in their minds eyes as long as they both should live in a sort of bas-relief against the ordinary winters and summers and seed-times and harvests of everyday existence for a while lawrence forgot his anxieties and poverty and the many trials which beset him and gave himself up to the enjoyment of those repeated coincidences which so often brought himself and nancy together he deliberately shut his eyes for the time being to the lions in his way of which there were in truth a veritable menagerie and made the most of the beauty of nancy's eyes and the music of her laughter and it is but fair to nancy to add that she in no way stinted his opportunities of enjoying these simple pleasures but promoted the frequent recurrence of them by every means in her power as for her she was radiantly happy happier than she had ever been in her life before and happier than she would ever be again in the same irresponsible light-hearted way locked up in a remote cupboard at the very back of her mind was the certainty that lawrence loved her although he had not told her so and she was never weary of weaving for her own discomfiture doubts of him and of his honourable intentions which she enjoyed to the full supported as they were by that locked-up cupboard in the background she and lawrence talked a great deal about their friendship and pretended both to each other and to themselves that this was the correct name for the thing but they would have been terribly disappointed in their own cases and extremely disgusted in each other's if the pseudonym had finally proved itself to be anything but the flimsiest nom de plume lawrence found it so easy to talk to nancy he had not found it easy to talk to any one since his father died and there is a luxury in the rare unreserve of reserved natures which the habitually outspoken find it impossible to appreciate nancy on the contrary felt more shy with lawrence than she had ever felt with any one in fact he was the only person she had ever met who could give her an inkling of what the sensation called shyness really is and the naturally shy person has no idea how exquisite is a faint soupçon of that to him most uncomfortable sensation to the person who has hitherto but known it as a name isn't it funny nancy remarked confidentially to lawrence one day when he and she were walking in the lanes that it is so easy to say you are glad to see people unless you really are glad to see them and that then it is impossible is it replied baxendale with a smile then i am to conclude that you are always glad to see me 
save when you happen to mention the fact and that then you are distinctly annoyed i never do say i am glad to see you said nancy innocently and then became rather pink when she had realized the inference which might naturally be drawn from her statement lawrence pretended not to notice the inference though in going over the conversation afterward in his own mind as he had a knack of going over all conversations wherein nancy had taken a part he treated that particular remark as if it had been the utterance of an inspired sibyl but at the time he merely said i thought however that you prided yourself on never making inane and conventional speeches miss burton although of course i am aware he added that to pride oneself on not doing a thing is by no means the same as leaving it undone that's true agreed nancy with a laugh do you know i pride myself upon being a good listener ah and upon never saying indiscreet things so i should have supposed and upon thinking too poorly of my own charms and excellencies i can quite believe it you are very rude mr baxendale far from it i am merely avoiding the rudeness of contradicting a lady and then they both laughed with the careless and delightful laughter of the young and foolish but you are right in thinking that i can't stand the civil and obvious in the way of conversation nancy said there is a class of people who always make certain stereotyped remarks which almost drive me mad as for instance well when you have been away from home for a week or two they invariably call you a bird of passage it is a most horrid expression i think but that type of conversationalist revels in it and then they say how the days are closing in and christmas will soon be upon us as if christmas were a movable feast and as if the days hadn't closed in and lengthened out at the same rate since the time of adam and even before then if science is to be believed exactly you know it is such a comfort to talk to you mr baxendale because you have what the psalmist calls an understanding heart you mean that i understand you pretty well perhaps i do but i don't know that that presupposes any unusual perspicuity on my part because i am so prone to say what i think suggested nancy not altogether as a matter of fact it is when you don't say what you think when you go out of your way to say the exact opposite that you are most enlightening and instructive then why doesn't the understanding of me prove your abnormal cleverness nancy persisted because even a fool can generally master one subject when that subject occupies the whole of his thoughts and attention to the exclusion of everything else was lawrence's reply whereupon nancy was seized with one of her delightful and inexplicable attacks of shyness and consequently confined the conversation to most uneventful and ordinary grooves until she and mr baxendale had parted at the iron gate which guarded the back entrance to wayside when lawrence reached home that afternoon he found his mother as usual in a chatty mood she was sitting in the little drawing-room watching the haymakers at work in the meadow below the garden and as the sweet scents and the sweeter sounds of summer filled the air which was as yet vibrating with nancy's laughter lawrence felt that the world was indeed very good and that life was abundantly worth the trouble of living but lady alicia soon dispelled the golden glamour 
she had a knack of spoiling the sweetest illusions and the most exalted moments with a rapidity and completeness which fell little short of genius isn't it a lovely afternoon dear lawrence she began as her son sat down on a chair beside her i think there is nothing that gives one such beautiful thoughts as the smell of new-mown hay except perhaps the sound of a band in the distance a few days ago there was a flower show at tetley wood and as the wind was in that direction i could hear the band as i sat in the garden i shouldn't have imagined that the band at a flower show was in itself a liberal education said lawrence in a voice out of which all the boyish ring had been suddenly eliminated ah that is because you're so prosaic and commonplace that you never hear or see all the sweet and romantic things round you but i cannot blame you for this as you inherit it from your poor dear father the most unpoetical and unromantic creature that ever lived what sort of beautiful visions did this particular band call up before your mind's eye my dear mother asked lawrence wincing as he always did at his mother's way of speaking of the father whom he had adored oh it made me feel so tender and softened and chastened it was playing two lovely black eyes if i remember rightly or else the girl i left behind me i'm not sure now which that i felt i quite forgave your poor dear father for all the trouble and poverty and economy that he had entailed on me by his most unjustifiable marriage with a young girl brought up in luxury as i had been too young alas to know her own mind lawrence did not speak however trying lady alicia might be he never forgot that she was his mother and this remembrance often obliged him to take refuge in silence so that he might not offend with his tongue against that commandment which makes no exceptions in favour of those who have no sympathy with the idiosyncrasies of the father and mother whom they are bidden to honour lady alicia placidly continued the power of association is very strong in poetical natures such as mine and that is why sounds and scents affect me so much i remember dear wordsworth said something very sweet about something i forget what it was but i fancy it was a pet lamb or a daisy which made you think of things too deep for tears i so often feel like that indeed lawrence knew he was ungracious but for the life of him he could not help it when his mother talked in this way for instance she went on i never smell mint sauce without thinking of the day when dear lord watercress proposed to me we were at a dinner-party at the time and the lamb was just being handed round and even yet after all these years the smell of mint sauce always recalls poor dear watercress how beautifully he spoke and how heartbroken he was when i refused him ah i had such good offers when i was young and it was the knowledge of how much better i might have done that made it so hard for me to forgive your poor father when i discovered that he was not so well off as i had been led to expect then lawrence felt constrained to expostulate i am sure my father never deceived you as to his income he was the most single-minded and upright and honourable man i ever came across he was incapable of deceiving anybody least of all the woman he loved well he didn't exactly deceive me in so many words and even if he had my dear father would have ferreted out the truth about his prospects then what do you mean by saying that father was not as well off as you had been led to expect i was such an unsophisticated romantic young creature full of love and fire and poetry and things of that kind don't you know 
that when he told me he was poor i imagined i loved him all the more for it even now and although i am speaking of myself i cannot help feeling that there was something very beautiful and touching in a young girl who had been brought up as i had been being ready to sacrifice the world for love it is the sort of thing that one would read about in a novel and think so very very sweet but like the celebrated sacrifice to baal on mount carmel the fire from heaven was apparently wanting in your case remarked lawrence somewhat bitterly bitterness like humour was however lost on lady alicia yes she went on in her well-bred expressionless voice i can see how unspoilt and unsophisticated my nature was and such simplicity was indeed beautiful in a girl who had never done her hair herself or put on a dress worth less than twenty guineas since she was born i can remember now how beautifully i spoke to alwyn about caring more for him than for wealth or rank or any of the other necessaries of life and how the tears came into his eyes when he kissed me and said he hoped to god that he should prove himself in some measure worthy of such love oh it was also very very touching and pathetic but if you said all that to him how can you blame him for believing you lady alicia sighed plaintively ah he was older than i was and knew more of the world and of how very unpleasant it is to be poor and he ought not to have taken advantage of my nobility and generosity i blame him for taking me at my word and i shall always consider it showed a sad selfishness on his part did you ever tell him that you blamed him asked lawrence quietly of course i did over and over again i think it is such false kindness to keep from people the consequences of their own folly and selfishness we are put into this world to help other people and how can we do this better than by pointing out to them their faults and their mistakes and so helping them to correct them ah murmured lawrence his mother's garrulousness threw most instructive lights upon his father's character but i grieve to say that your poor father never took his chastenings in the right spirit when i used to tell him what a bitter disappointment my marriage had been to me and how i regretted the too great sacrifice which he had demanded at my hands instead of apologizing as he ought to have done for having exposed a woman of my rank to such inconvenience he used to become quite sarcastic and say things which he apparently intended to be funny though i never could see the point of them i wonder if all women end by hating their husbands unless those husbands happen to be rich said lawrence meditating as to whether should he succeed in attaining his heart's desire and winning nancy's love she would finally break that heart as his mother had broken his father's of course they do all nice-minded women that is to say who are too delicate and sensitive to put up with a hugger-mugger home and to do without the refinements of life it is very beautiful to believe that love is everything when one is quite young very very beautiful and it would pain me inexpressibly to think that i had not believed it in my innocent girlish days but as one grows older and one does not mind growing older when one thinks of how beautiful the autumn tints and flowers are and how attractive it is to grow old gracefully one cannot but realize that a thoroughly capable butler makes a house more comfortable than the most devoted of husbands and that one cannot really get enough to eat unless one has a cook who can make good entrees and savouries 
the young may digest plain joints but not the middle-aged a flood of pity for his poor silly mother rushed into lawrence's heart he had not understood before how much she minded being poor like his father lawrence would have believed that a man could make a woman happy quite apart from the question of money if they only loved each other enough and so he could were the said woman's heart of the best quality but many women have hearts not of the best quality and these also have to be reckoned with if a man build his house upon the sand the plea that he mistook that sand for rock will in no wise avail him when the rains descend and the floods come and the wind blows and the house falls and great is the fall of it i am afraid our present circumstances are a bit rough on you mother lawrence said very gently i wonder if there is anything that i could do which would make things easier for you dear lawrence what a dutiful son you are you are more unselfish than your poor father after all i suppose it is the portcullis strain in your blood which makes you superior to him and more like me and my people the moats are all peculiarly sensitive and this poor alwyn never could understand still my father's family is a considerably older one than yours if you come to that lawrence had made up his mind to keep his temper whatever his mother might say but it was no easy matter yes there is no doubt of that your ancestors were owners of baxendale while mine poor dears were selling wool or leather or something equally unpleasant nevertheless there is a refinement and delicacy of perception among the moats which is sadly lacking in the baxendales then my dear mother considering that according to your own showing my density is rather my misfortune than my fault won't you take the trouble to point out to me more clearly than would be necessary were i a moat how i can make life easier for you ah now you are reasonable and remind me of my dear father who was ever the most sensible and trustworthy of men well you see poor as we are to begin with this horrid fire insurance makes us still poorer a hundred and fifty pounds a year is a large sum to pay out of an income of barely five hundred it is mother confoundedly large no one knows that better than i do then dear lawrence couldn't you leave off paying it we should be so much better off if you did i know we should and to tell you the truth were i free to follow my own judgment i should leave off paying it and should take the risk of baxendale being burned down for the third time more than a quarter of one's entire income is a good deal to pay to insure oneself against an off chance for it is only an off chance that the hall should be burned down again at any rate in our time dear lawrence you are a moated heart though outwardly you resemble poor dear alwyn then why not leave off paying that tiresome insurance money because unfortunately i can't it was stated in my grandfather's will that my father and his son only inherited the property on condition that we insure the house and the books and the pictures for a hundred thousand pounds and if i fail to fulfil this condition i forfeit my claim on the estate which then goes to the hampshire baxendales you are sure of this dear lawrence perfectly sure you don't suppose i should pay all that money without assuring myself that i was bound to pay it do you but i grant you it is a confounded nuisance then why not sell some of the books there are lots of clever interesting people who would only be too glad to buy some of the dear dirty old things because that tiresome old grandfather of mine only left his library to my father and his heirs in trust we have no right to part with a single volume lady alicia was silent for a moment 
so was lawrence while his thoughts ran wide on what he would say to nancy if only he were not so horribly poor he did not believe that his mother was right and that nancy's love would be measured according to his riches nevertheless lady alicia's remark had conjured up an uncomfortable doubt in his mind as to how far nancy was actually superior to the ordinary run of girls and he ground his teeth as he realized that his poverty made it impossible for him to set this detestable doubt at rest once and for ever by putting a single question to her and reading the answer in her pretty blue eyes then lady alicia began to speak again in her sweetest and most ingratiating manner that manner in which she used to clothe herself for the opening of bazaars and the giving away of prizes and such like functions in the days of her prosperity and which invariably elicited a very ecstasy of appreciation from the local newspapers whose pleasing duty it was to send forth a report of her ladyship's graciousness to all such dwellers in outer darkness as had not enjoyed the privilege of beholding it for themselves with the eye of flesh does it never strike you dear lawrence what a good thing it would be if the hall were burned down and we had that hundred thousand pounds to live upon but we couldn't use it for anything save rebuilding the house mother my grandfather's will sees to that i know we couldn't touch the capital my love but we might live on the income or else we might spend half the capital on rebuilding and live on the interest of the rest we could build a sweet house for fifty thousand pounds or even less a dear lovely home with all the refinements of life and a green drawing-room carpet i cannot tell you how i long for a green drawing-room carpet lawrence it is such a softening influence on the character i think and makes one feel as if one were living in the primeval forest or the garden of eden or some other sweet spot near the heart of nature just as the sky-blue wallpaper seems to bring one nearer to heaven don't you know for all her sentimentalism the spirit of her commercial ancestors still lived and moved in lady alicia baxendale and she knew to a penny how that hundred thousand pounds should be invested if only she could lay hands on it i wish i could afford to buy you a green drawing-room carpet mother and lawrence sighed well so you could if you were not absurdly careful old maidish i should almost call it in seeing after dear old mrs candy i've often heard you caution the good soul against carrying a lighted candle into the library now why shouldn't she if she wants to and if a spark did fall among the old books and manuscripts all the better for us oh mother you are not thinking what you are saying yes love i am and i have often thought it sometimes when i recall the old legend it seems to me that it would be a positive duty instead of a sin to burn the hall down for the third time and so fulfil the prophecy it is really a duty to fulfil prophecy if one can see how anxious daniel and isaiah and people of that kind were to do so and they were remarkably good men and have always been considered so nevertheless those who do evil that good may come are not considered remarkably good men or at any rate were not by st paul replied lawrence his lips tightening into a grim smile ah dear child it does not do to dwell too much upon st paul's sayings i often think that he was a little hard and narrow especially where women were concerned lawrence thought the apostle to the gentiles had some excuse for his opinions even if lady alicia's strictures upon him were correct but he did not say so and his mother went on for my part i think you would be quite justified in lighting your pipe in the library at baxendale or in insisting upon mrs candy keeping up the fires or in putting up hayricks close to the house oh mother don't i can't bear it cried lawrence an almost physical spasm of pain clutching his heart he had always wondered why his father had been so glad to die 
so glad to say good-bye to the red earth and the green woods and the sunset glories of the western hills now he knew you see dear lawrence the hall has got to be burned down once again we all know that and it would be so much nicer if it happened in our time while we were still able to enjoy the benefit of it it isn't as if the hall needn't be burned again if that were so i should say it was very very wrong to do anything that could occasion the slightest danger and you know i am the last person to countenance what i consider really wrong but the hall is obliged to be burned once again by something which is stronger than king or state i so often wonder what that can mean avarice according to you mother was lawrence's bitter rejoinder oh no dear child something much more poetical and beautiful than that perhaps the love of a son for a mother or a mother for a son or some other of those delightful and touching emotions which are so refining to the character in fact it seems to me that it would not only be wrong it would be actually right to help to fulfil that strange old prophecy and show one's faith in the supernatural for there is nothing that elevates one's own mind and has such a good influence on the servants as belief in the supernatural it keeps one from growing sordid or mean or commonplace lawrence fairly groaned never had the gulf which separated his mother from himself yawned so wide as it did now and he knew it would be useless worse than useless to argue with her he and she spoke different languages and moved on different planes and then she went on cheerfully think how nice it would be for you dear lawrence to have an income of two or three thousand a year you might marry some nice girl who would cure you of the somewhat morose and unsocial habits which are fast growing upon you there is nothing like a charming wife for making a man sociable and unselfish though alas with a sigh his marriage never had that effect upon your poor father i'm sure it wasn't my fault i was always as agreeable and well-dressed as it was possible to be on our limited income but he never seemed to appreciate my efforts to make his home attractive to other people which i hold to be one of the chief duties of a wife still lawrence was silent a darkness which might be felt was enveloping his soul it was all so hopeless his mother went on i sometimes think that nancy burton is attracted by you and i don't know that she would be a bad wife for you though you ought to do better she is always well dressed and has quite nice manners for a person of that class i feel sure she would jump at you as people like that are always so glad to ally themselves with us and no doubt mr burton dear sensible creature that he is would allow his daughter a handsome sum in consideration of her making such a brilliant match but i don't think his allowance would be sufficient to marry on as of course you would have to keep up a separate home from me you will understand that i with my sensitive perceptions could not possibly live in the same house with a girl whom but this was too much for lawrence excuse me mother but i would rather not discuss miss burton even with you he said as he bounced out of the room and banged the door behind him End of chapter seven